You're listening to Arc Radio Podcast. Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Hooked, a show about addiction within the Muslim community. We will explore stories of addiction and recovery from within the Muslim community, talk to experts within the addiction field. We will also explore addiction and recovery from an Islamic perspective. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu nasalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. Welcome to everyone. And myself, first of all, my name is uh, Abad. Um, I'm from Glasgow. And Brother Wahid is one of my friends, one of the guys I've known for quite a while. So even from primary school. And uh, inshallah, I'll introduce him to you. And also we want to thank um, Wahid for coming along. Uh, the idea is that you can get his story. And um, through this, hopefully it'll be able to help um, other people. Um, whether that's family members of people that are addicted, people that are addicted themselves, and inshallah, just to show that you can come out the other side. Um, so inshallah, um, I'll let Brother Wahid inshallah in- introduce himself a little bit. So we know your name, um, well, a, bit, a little bit more about you. What can you say? Oh, Assalamualaikum to everybody. It's listening. Uh, thank you, first of all, Abad, for having me here. It's a pleasure to see you again. And uh, So... But, uh, <laughs> That's all right, take your time, man. Okay, so yeah. I'll, I'll ask you a couple of questions, yeah. right? So um, how old are you? I'm 30. 30 years old, right, yeah. okay. So I'm 31, so I'm just a little bit older than you, so you need to listen to me. <laughs> okay, I got that. Respect the elders, I'm only joking, right? Roger that. So um, what religion are you? I'm Muslim. You're Muslim as well, right? So the reason I'm asking that is because uh, sometimes um, in the Muslim community, we can have a tendency to say that, oh, you know, we, we don't have any problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. We talk about addiction. That's something yeah. that's a non-Muslim problem, you know, yeah. a white problem yeah. or another community, maybe a black problem, but it's not yeah. anything to do with our um, community. Mm. So that's the reason I was asking you, just so that the listeners get to uh, to, to hear that themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so we know how old you are. Um, what do you do? Well, currently what it is is um, I, I was... I'm just uh, left work just recently. Okay. Uh, plans are to open up my own little small takeaway. I'm going to start from zero. All right. Okay. So inshallah, we come and uh, we get a freebie from you as well. You definitely <laughs> will, my brother. Yeah, you can bring the brothers with you anytime, and inshallah, we will do our best to serve you. Ah, uh, no, inshallah. Oh, hopefully, inshallah, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala make you Thank successful you. in that. Thank you so much. Um, so again, um, where were you born? I was raised in the the West End of Glasgow. Yeah, the not the West End of California. No, it was it was not the West Coast of California. No, it was. It was <laughs> although I, I probably would prefer being there, to be honest. But nah, but yeah, West End of Glasgow, my brother. Yeah. So you brought okay, mashallah. So from Glasgow, from the West mm-hmm. End, similar to myself, yeah. um, I was born actually uh, in Coatbridge, but kind of yeah. brought up most, especially my primary from primary school age. Um, in the west end of Glasgow and what's your ethnic origin so like parents you know where are they from uh, well, both of my parents are born in Pakistan my mother she was born in Muldan in Pakistan she uh, moved over here when she was four or five with her parents and uh, my father was born in the 
the border side neighbouring India, a small village named Kosur. Okay. And uh, my father moved here in his mid-late 20s when he married my mother in the 70s. In the 70s, okay, yeah. alhamdulillah. So um, basically we just want to get an idea, um, first of all, about um, what kind of things, uh, alhamdulillah, you, what would you say you've alhamdulillah, managed to get rid of your addictions, you've managed to get over them? Alhamdulillah, yeah, I, I, I have managed to control first of all, and, and uh, identify the triggers of addiction because I think most, one of the most important things in dealing with uh, uh, addictions is understanding the cause of addiction. You cannot, I don't think you can really deal with addictions unless you address the cause. And For me, one of the fundamental uh, changing uh, phase was identifying the cause and We'll probably come to that later on. Yeah, yeah, no, no definitely, yeah. definitely. Okay, so um, what kind of things was it that you were, uh, or were you addicted to before? Okay, well, I think it all started, uh, we're going into... But even, not, not too much the detail, but just like, what kind of things did you take? All right, okay, the, 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 the substances I was addicted to was, mainly it was cannabis, it was okay. cannabis resin form and cannabis in the, the, the leaf form. Alright, okay. So skunk, skunk, yeah. Alright, okay. The, and then uh, hash was the hash the was resin. Th- that's where it all started. Yeah. Okay. Right. No problem. Seems like you know, I know a little bit more than me. Uh, I know about drugs. I know about drugs. <laughs> okay, not taking that year. Yeah. You know, great experience in working with offenders and everything else. Yeah, working in prison, but also just growing up. You know, yeah. alhamdulillah, I was lucky. I didn't uh, ever take any, but mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I was definitely around people that were yeah. taking them and yeah. that. So um, I'm not. Was it not as if I don't have a an idea about mm-hmm. what guys were doing. Yeah. Um, and was there anything else? So you're saying cannabis, uh, both in the like the resin form, and then you had the skunk, which is the leaf, the leaf, mm-hmm. but it's also mm-hmm. been treated as well. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else what about alcohol and stuff? Yeah, definitely. There was a there was a episodes of alcohol addiction as well, and that was quite. I would say that the alcohol addiction was more uh, dangerous and volatile right. than the the addiction to. Uh, the, the the weed uh, mainly because when you're intoxicated you have a uh, you normally do things that you wouldn't do normally and what I mean by that is like because you get so drunk because you don't do it enough you get so drunk you end up getting yourself in a state and uh, so that for me like I had episodes where like there was three or four different episodes of my life where for several weeks consistently I was addicted to alcohol and uh, I wake up in the morning I, don't, I just want to drink you know and uh, so yeah it was alcohol addiction as well and, and uh, I had episodes of, of dealing with classy as well so that that was when I say classy I was it was mainly cocaine okay. uh, but it wasn't as severe as the alcohol or the, or the weed addiction that I had you know. Yeah, so so that that's interesting that you're you're saying that like different drugs, um, kind of have a different or different substances are having a different effect. So you're kind of saying with the alcohol and stuff, it was it was worse in the sense that um, a lot of the times you're not aware because you weren't used to it of what you're now doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas it kind of sounds like you're saying with the uh, the weed with that, you were kind of still aware of what was going on and have a lot more control over yourself. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the weed, uh, more or less, what it did to me was uh, it numbed, it numbed me. So it made me feel numb. I, I kind of, 
my part of my brain felt as if it was separated from reality so I didn't have to deal and cope with all the things that were going on that had taken place and I felt to myself that it's uh, an amazing block that you could use to kind of and it also relaxed you, you know so it started all with the first the innocent feeling of it's relaxing it's a recreational thing it's something that you do for fun and then it becomes an addiction where you cannot uh, have a functional day unless you have a joint or a bong or whatever form you're going to smoke it in. Yeah, and that's when you realise it's an addiction. So, yeah, yeah. So there's like a there's a there's a fine point where um, it, it goes from being a bit of fun or something just to help you cope to actually something you now can't live without. Yeah. and then that's obviously brings a lot of other problems with it as well. Absolutely, and it's psychotic um, triggers. It does trigger certain psychotic episodes. Okay, um, right. Uh, some would argue I was already a bit psychotic, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, no comment. A little bit about your uh, childhood would be good to kind of get an idea okay. of um, your your journey of your life up until now, right? Okay. Okay. Um, so, because you were saying that, you know, within some of the things you've said now, there were certain things you're trying to deal with, and so we'd be able to get a bit of a better idea if we just you okay. know, talk to you a bit about growing up and at what point and okay. what kind of issues arose and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah? Sure, no problem. Yeah, fire away. So kind of a bit about your uh, family. So as a child, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little bit about, you know, parents, mm-hmm. um, you know, siblings, mm-hmm. brothers, sisters. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, bro. So uh, what position you come in the family as well? Okay, I'm the, the last of... You're the baby? Um, yeah, I'm the, I'm the child, yeah. All right, okay. So, you don't um, want to say baby, no? Nah, that sounds a bit more vulnerable, <laughs> doesn't it? So i got to say child. But, okay. Yeah. So I'm the, I'm the, the, the last of the pack, so to speak. Had, uh, uh, I grew up with a family of six, uh, three elder sisters and two elder brothers. And, uh, yeah, and, uh, my family dynamics, the way my origin or the, the circle of my family was basically... Uh, um, when I was at the age, well, first of all, I want to say, you know, I cannot be grateful enough for Allah's blessings. And, and the reality is, as much as it's going to sound as if I'm complaining about my life and the stuff I went through, there is absolutely nothing I can say that can truly express the gratitude I have for, first of all, being here and being able to get through the stuff I've been through, number one. Uh, so I'll, I'll come to the origins, I think. And it all started when I was, I guess, uh, about five or six. Unfortunately, my mother passed away in a car accident and it uh, transpired from there. Uh, when I moved in with my maternal side of the family, I had an absent father due to litigation and other issues that were going on. And and uh, so I was raised by my maternal side of my family. So, And with that, there was there was a lot of benefits as well, I would say. Okay. Um, and, yeah, yeah, go uh, on yeah, whatever you want. The benefits, I think, was, uh, I, I mean... At a very early age, I was able to get away with things that normal people wouldn't get away with. Okay. Uh, partly because of the, the, I'm call it a luxury, but the privilege of being able to be, not be answerable to anybody. That makes any sense. And what was that? Because like people kind of went, well, you know, um, he's had like hard circumstances, yeah. so therefore yeah. um, that can account for you know things. So we'll be a bit more lenient. Is that what Much you mean? Much more leverage and, and being able to get away with things. Yeah. Because I had no no like present parents, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, Just no. like what you're saying is. So um I was able to get away with a lot of a lot of things. And I think uh, as a youngster growing up for me that was I seized the opportunity and I learned how to master the art of just being 
able to get away with things, if that makes any sense. Yeah, so, so like, so, what kind of things are you talking about? So what, what kind of things would yeah, you I mean, get away things, with? Things is, I mean, things ranging from, you know, stealing. Okay. You know, things... Uh, Steal from the house, or are you talking about from, like, a shop, or, or from school, or where? <laughs> I mean, I, we shouldn't admit our sins, but uh, now that we're on the subject, I, I think I should go into a bit more detail. Primary three is where it all started. Um, and we made sponsor sheets. All right, okay. We, I'm not going to name anybody else, but we made sponsor sheets. And we went round to all... And I know I'm speaking about this, if I'm proud, but I'm really not proud, but it's just because it brings back so many fond memories to me that I'm, I'm, I'm finding it a bit amusing. Well, that, the idea but, um, of the show isn't to make you feel like it's all sombre and it's all, you know, <laughs> part of life, and it? Some things you look back on and you, you laugh at, but you yeah. think I shouldn't have done them, so yeah. I, I've got plenty of them. 100%. <laughs> Thank you, brother. So, yeah, like, uh, we made sponsor sheets, and we went round to, uh, it was lunchtime, and we went round. It all started, at one, uh, it was a one... It was a few events where, a few days where I didn't have uh, like enough pocket money, or I wanted more, or, you know, greed, and uh, and uh, so then I came up with the idea to make sponsor sheets. We made sponsor sheets, and at lunchtime one one afternoon, we went round to all the local uh, flats and asked people to sponsor us for doing a mini marathon. All right, and. Uh, so we made a, a good sum of money that that afternoon, and, and uh, yeah, we ended we ended we ended up getting caught, and uh, but uh, at that time I was suspended from school, and even like the meeting that I had with the head teacher and the meeting that I had with the teachers was not a not a meeting that was focused on any kind of discipline. There was there wasn't any, you know. So you you weren't getting like into trouble. I was getting into trouble, but at the times that the 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 so what were responsible the people that were getting me into trouble were were dealing with me more of in a sense that oh it's a shame it's a shame he's got no choice you know yeah and to to an extent I think uh, to any young person uh, just wanting to experience life I think that was like a changing point for me where I thought you know I can get away with things and I can do things without having to worry really much about the repercussions. And, uh, so yeah, so they would focus on mainly just uh, setting me down in a quiet area and just calling my uh, responsible adults, who was most most of the time it was my aunt, my maternal aunt, or it was my sister, my older sister. So yeah, no. okay. And they so would notify them and they would take it from there. So yeah, it all started from school more or less. But uh, so, so you think that that's quite a significant event for you because that's the point where you realise that okay, people are up until now people are treating me um, leniently because of. Uh, the circumstances that I'm in, things yeah. that have happened, <clears throat> but now you're kind of going, oh, wait a minute, I can use this to my advantage. You know, yeah. I, I've went out and done something that normally someone would have been, like you said, disciplined or got in trouble for. And all right, there is a meeting here, but I'm actually getting away with a lot just because of my circumstances. Yeah, just focus. And on then, the did that lead on to you continuing to then do things that you shouldn't have been doing, or? Yeah, I think that I don't think that was the main cause. That was one of the inspiring thoughts behind it. Because I mean, a criminal or anybody who knows they can get away with something, they're going to continue to do it. But I think, uh, uh, yeah. So that was one of the the main things. Well, not the main things, but that was one of the reasons why it did continue and it did transpire and lead into more serious uh, activity, which we'll probably come to later on. But yeah, no, yeah. okay. So um, 
primary school, um, so that's kind of what right, we've got a bit of an idea, but you know, of something, an event that took place or uh, within the primary school or run about the primary school. What were your when you think back of memories of primary school, what do you think of good, bad, whatever? What are the memories that stick out in your mind? Um, if I'm going to be frank, I think my experience in in, in primary school was it was a it genuinely was like a holiday camp for me. It genuinely wasn't. There was absolutely nothing within my yeah. I can just remember being able to do what I wanted, and uh, yeah. Primary school for me was like a, it was like a holiday. It was like a, yeah. No, talking about primary school, I, I can remember because we went to the same primary school, mm. and I actually remember one time where uh, you ended up for a while in our class. That's right. That, that even although did. we were uh, older than you, um, by a year. You remember that? <laughs> I remember that, yeah, I remember. I mean, it all started when the head teacher realised that I had this amazing Einstein, you know, psychology where I was so smart and intelligent and he thought, he he has to push me up because, you know, all the other students in my class were lagging behind me, you know. So. <laughs> no, that, was, that wasn't the real reason. No. The real reason was actually what, what it was, was they felt that this, the teachers felt that because uh, I had lost my mother, they thought that perhaps moving me in a class where my brother was present would probably you know, support and assist me in dealing with those behaviours that I was displaying. So, and Yeah, I've got to say that um, like, if you look back uh, on your childhood, can you kind of... From, from just listening to you, it sounds like the... Now, we don't want to take a dig at the school, right? Um, but it kind of does sound like, you know... Um, if you want to call it social work or ed- the education department or whoever it is, mm-hmm. they just didn't seem to know how to deal with this situation. So that, although they were there to teach, they couldn't really deal with the fact that you had um, uh, lost, you know, y- your mother and then, mm-hmm. you know, your father wasn't there for, for certain reasons and now you were living with other family. They just could, it sounds like they just didn't have a clue how to deal with with, a, with someone that had gone through that. Yeah, I would agree with you definitely. I mean, all due respect to the school, I think I got to give them credit. Uh, the school did deal with a lot of difficult situations with me personally, so I, I cannot take that away from the school. But unfortunately, I don't think the schools are equipped with. I think probably in the modern era, but in today's day and age, I think they are more uh, tr- trained to deal with such uh, uh, events. But back in the nineties, I don't think we really had that much. Uh, you know. Yeah, no, definitely got you there. We were talking about how um, run about the the time where you were going from primary school to secondary school. That's kind of when you started, um, was it called, uh, taking different uh, intoxicants, right? Um, and we'll talk a bit about that. So, so yeah, if you can just explain in your own words, like, uh, kind of when was that? Was it still in primary school? Was it... Secondary school was it the summer holidays in between, you know, and and kind of how did that come about? Okay, uh, for like the first experience I ever had with any drug was we're going back to I think it was around about the two th- early two thousands. It would have been the, yeah the early two thousands, and I probably was about eleven or twelve uh, at that time. I can't remember the exact uh, year or the time, but um, it all started by uh, we stayed in a, a, a set of flats and. We had a little close where there was a back entrance and a front entrance, so we had uh, uh, you from our local area, young Scottish boys, and and they'd come in into the back and they'd 
uh, take their. Uh, so what 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 kind of things were they taking? What kind of drugs? It was basically like a glass bottle that was cut at the bottom. And it was like a, a bong. It was a bucket. They, a they, bong or they a bucket. called it a bucket. Yeah, I remember the bucket. I, Do you remember the bucket? I remember the bucket. Yeah, it's not the the ice bucket no. challenge or anything. Like not that. the ice bucket <laughs> challenge. No, it's like a sort of half a bottle um, mm-hmm. with some water underneath it, and then mm-hmm. you kind of burn the cannabis at the top, and somehow. Yeah. Uh, the that. Creates, uh, so it's a bit like a um, maybe a shisha or something or one of them. I hope more or less, something more or like less, that, a, a mixture of shisha. Yeah. Definitely. All right. Okay. So, so, so they were uh, in the you know the back garden, is it, or the back lane or whatever? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, doing them, and then uh, how did you did you try it or what yeah, happened? Well, well, what, what happened was I more or less went downstairs and I said, "Guys, can you beat it?" And um, they started laughing at me. They were slightly older than me and. There was four or five of them, and they they will they asked me to come down, and me being the the person that I am, I went down eager as always to uh, to see what what they were they were doing, and uh, one of the boys said, uh, "Take this," and there I was, uh, took it the way unconventionally with sucking up water as well. Okay, <laughs> and uh, I, I thought nothing much of it. I coughed an awful lot, and. Uh, I went back upstairs and within 20 seconds uh, it all started. Yeah. I, I chapped my door and my cousin, he answered the door. I went straight to my grandfather's room then hit the bed and never woke up for a couple hours. <laughs> all right, okay. So what, what what had happened? What was the feeling that you had? Uh, the feeling was, I mean, because I'm going back in time and I'm trying to properly visualise the feeling, i got to be honest, and the feeling was amazing. It was like, you know, it was really as if your legs, you were floating. Okay. You felt as if you were floating and you felt as if... It was it was awfully strange, like, the back the back side of me felt as if it wasn't there. I felt as if oh, I could only see what's ahead and it was as if I was in a dream. I was, like, just gliding to where I was going and I could do what I wanted to. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever been... Uh, before you wake up, you kind of are subconscious and you're... You're you're not fully awake, but you know you're about to reach consciousness. Okay, yeah. I don't know if that's ever happened. To yeah, you. yeah. Sometimes yeah, and, uh, I'll have a dream and then um, I'll be aware that I'm having the dream and I'm about to wake exactly, up. And exactly, it's sort of similar to that. It, yeah, yeah. The feeling is sort it's of like similar. a sort of a feeling of bliss. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, and then you kind of went upstairs and dashed out on the bed and woke yeah. up what four hours later and then yeah. what what was that like? And then, I mean, after, even after that, when I woke up, I went, I couldn't stay in the house because I was obviously, uh, my eyes were bloodshot red and I, I was just dead cautious over, you know, my, my, my demeanour and, and the way I was going to present myself in the house. So what I did was I, I left and I went to our school, Willow Bank, the, at the back area. Okay. And, um, Which was a place that I can say that that's where I've seen a lot of people um, having their first um, bucket or join or, or, or girlfriend the, or everything or, that kind or of their thousandth bucket, the one thousandth one sitting <laughs> sitting on sitting on the logs, yeah, the seats that's that right, we made out right. of the logs. Well, fond memories; those were the times, wasn't it? Yeah, and and so I went and, and I bumped into a few of my friends, and uh, we were just having a conversation, and they never knew I was. I, I, they were slightly older than me again. They never knew I, I, that I was under. The influence, but uh, after a couple of minutes, it was clearly obvious when I started say, saying that I'm spitting out blood. <laughs> and where are you spitting out blood? I was, I was hallucinating. Clearly. You were hallucinating, and uh, 
Yeah. One of my friends, he bought me one of those small bottles of Hiram Brew. I don't remember if you remember them. Yeah, yeah. Tiny little bottles. for like 35 pence or something like that. Yeah, the little bottles. He bought me one of them and I emptied it within one gulp and I was asking for more. All right, okay. Yeah, so it was a funny, funny time then. That was my first experience with any drug, yeah. Right. And so so what happened after that? When was your next experience? Yeah, my next experience is uh, when I, I went to Pakistan, came back from Pakistan and uh, came back in, in West Ed and um, uh, more or less uh, met with the same boys that, that I met the last time. In, was, was in, the, in the garden, you mean? The, those people that were in the back? In the, in the back, yeah, yeah. In, the, in the back of the school, yeah. Or in the back of the school, so the friends then, not yeah. not the Scottish guys that you'd met? Not the Scottish guys again, no. Right. And uh, we had, you know, like, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the time was Trash. I remember Trash, trash yeah. It got burnt down. Small, but did it go, oh, I, thought, I didn't know that, but yeah, I remember Trash. And for, for people that don't know what Trash was, um, so Trash was like a, a sort of a nightclub, wasn't it? It was, but it was for more for like uh, people that were younger. Yeah. So they'd uh, they'd go into town, and uh, I think it might have actually been on. I can't remember if it was St Vincent Street or if it was the Berkeley Street part of it. I think it was a St Vincent Street. I think it was. Um, yeah, and it was. Th- there was a bit a building there. And that was like a sort of a disco or whatever you want to call it. So, yeah. but for some reason, it seemed to attract all the Asian and Muslim guys in the school because there was someone who used to go about, I think, handing out the free tickets, wasn't it? That's right, that's right. There was there was actually a lot of people that actually went out and, and the whole idea of Trash was it actually was a, a nightclub that was run for over over 21s as well. So that would basically, they would use Trash as a base to kind of introduce younger people to get involved in the nightclub scene and stuff. So they did have very young promoters to go out in the communities and stuff like that and hand out leaflets and get people free entries in at times and and sometimes there'd be like popular artists, like English or even American artists, that would come down, and they would do uh, a performance there, would attract a lot of attention. So uh, Saturday evening it was a time where it was for the unders, and the Saturday was where we all used to go. And I got to say it was kind of strange because when it finally got burnt down. <laughs> um, uh, now, it's a I sigh think, of relief. <laughs> you would think in it, you know, from a, a person who's thinking, well, these guys are in here, you know, doing things they shouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully now the fact that it's burnt down, they might see it as a sign from God and they'll stop. Oh. Um, but what actually happened was when they got rid of, well, when trash, when it burnt down, uh, everybody seemed to just disperse into all the other clubs. That's true. That's true. And you were like, right, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, even for me personally, I was. I was at 14 and I was going to places like Wilvin, Blanket, you know, places like that, because the entry there, there was very less scrutiny on who was getting in and out. And, uh, yeah, I mean, Trash did introduce me to the nightclubs. Yeah, your first experience uh, had been in the, the back of, running back at your house, and then you'd yeah. gone to Pakistan, and yeah. then you'd come back, and you were in the West End again, and then you, you were meeting up with those friends that you'd met up with that used to hang about in the back of Willowbank Primary School. And, and then you went on to talk about trash. So what happened? Yeah, with trash, yeah, the reason why I brought t- trash up was because uh, that was the, the, yeah, that was the second time that that I'd uh, had any experience with drugs. And uh, yeah, I remember, I remember the, 
exact details, but I, I don't want to go too much into the specifics of it, but it was more or less just an event where I was given some, and I decided to start doing it in the nightclub, because I thought, I just, you know, at that age, 13, 14, eh, to me I felt as if that was the thing to do, the macho thing to do, to illustrate your, you know... Manliness. Manliness, so to speak. Or bravery. Yeah, and, 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 your, and your immunity to any... Eh, Discipline, and yeah. So it was all. So, so you talking about um, was now was that again cannabis? Yeah, that was cannabis. And yeah. was it the same as it had been before? That it was the bucket form, or was it um, you know a joint? What was it? Yeah, it was what we class as a joint, basically. But uh, ironically enough, I'm just in fact, understandably, I didn't know how to roll a joint. So what I did was, and I, don't, I still remember it to this day. This is why I didn't want to go into the specifics, but I'm going to have to go into it now. What I did was, it was a tiny little rock of uh, hash. And I didn't know how to roll it, but I was given that little tiny block. And what I did was, I was told you put it in a cigarette, so I physically put it in the start, in the, you know, in the front part of my cigarette. I just lobbed it in the front part of my cigarette. Right. So I'm sitting there on, on trash of the dance floor, and everybody's around me, and I'm sitting there trying to <laughs> trying to light a try, trying to light a, a a cigarette with the front part cup. Just got a block of hash stuck in it. Hash is kind of like a a rocky substance, so it was just lighting and lighting and lighting, and the whole place stunk out. And yeah, okay, it was so rather amusing. <laughs> right, <back> okay, <laughs> but well, that that is, you know, to be fair, you know, I mean, like like I'd said earlier on, it's um, kind of try to understand uh, addiction, and, and I mean, there's like no point, you know, trying to pretend that you know uh, everything was all bad and it was all serious. You know, mm-hmm. um, I remember. A, Comedian talking about you know when you get these programs, people that are overweight and they mm-hmm. they, they, they take a note of like all the foods that they've been eating throughout the week, and mm-hmm. they put it on a, a table in front of them and make them feel bad by look at what you've been eating. Yeah. And the comedian said, uh, you can see those people kind of looking at it, going, yeah, 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 it's um, that's terrible. You know, could you just uh, leave me alone for a wee while with this uh, food and yeah. I that they they really wanted to uh, enjoy some of the food that they were looking at, so. I mean, when someone may be looking at it from the outside, they'd be like, oh, you know, I stuck for a lot, that's terrible, or, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we've got to be honest, as humans, you know, there must be some enjoyment in it, otherwise why would people do it? Yeah, absolutely. There must be some humour in it as well, you know, because yeah. things go wrong, you know, there's funny, yeah. you know, yeah. uh, stories and things uh, of people oh, yeah. doing things that, you know, you say, okay, they're not Islamic or they're not correct, but um, I, I think if you... If you try and pretend that there wasn't that side to it, mm-hmm. then you're not really being honest. Absolutely. I mean, I definitely agree with you 100% on that. Um, I mean, let's be rea- realistic here. And the majority of people out there, I mean, even if you've got children at 14, 15, I would say probably 70, 80%, they've tried it or they're going to try it. So this is something that everybody, more or less everybody will try at one point in their life. And some people just... Uh, and there is great fun in it. I mean, there is no, no denying that there is a, it's a way of just basically getting away with doing what you want to do and just making a fool of yourself. And for some, for other people who are more vulnerable and susceptible to uh, addiction, obviously for them it's, you know, the escape theory of it all and, and they want to escape the reality of whatever's happened or what they're going through. So they then use that as an addiction and it becomes an addiction for them. But So... so so we're talking a bit about um, this is like your second experience of mm-hmm. um, taking this, and did this become like a weekly occurrence, or was it 
just whenever, or you know, how yeah. did it kind of? I think how did it go from being something you'd only tried the second time? You know, mm-hmm. what was the next step? I think, like for me, with with regards to how it become an addiction for me was like, uh, I I think I was at the age of fifteen or so, and uh, that's when I stopped going to school. And yeah, I was I was uh, I was working in a fruit shop uh, at the age of fifteen and. That was kind of my justification of not needing to go to school at home. So my grand would say, "Okay, well he's working. He's going to leave the uh, he's going to leave school soon anyway." So yeah, so I did that the early morning. It was about seven in the morning, until about three, four in the evening. And uh, so the money that I would make from there at that time, I think it was twenty three pounds or so a shift. Uh, I would use some of that money to buy a. Uh, a little bit of weed, um, and is this is this weed in the sense you're still talking about um, the the hash, or are you talking yeah. about actual you know? Yeah, it was, uh, you moved on to yeah. It was, sorry, a bit of hash. I do correct that. It was hash, and it was weed as well. Right, uh, yeah, weed as well. Yeah. So you started yeah, that. So that's about 15 years old. You went yeah. to start working, and you've got a bit of money. So you, so how often are you now? Um, you yeah. know, taking the drugs. How, I how was, often? I was probably taking it like twice a week or so. Yeah. Twice a week, because when I would take it, I wouldn't be able to work because it would make me dead and lazy. So it would be something that I'd do more or less at the weekends mainly. But and yeah, and the the time where I think I became addicted it was probably uh, the time as soon as I turned sixteen. That was where uh, I was fortunate enough to have some kind of insurance money after my mum had passed away. So quite a substantial amount of money I had, and. Uh, for about three or four weeks, I just kind of went on, you know, one of those... Uh, a binge? A binge, exactly, yeah. And uh, that's where every day, it was a high level of, you know, yeah. High, when I say high level, I mean, like, it was... I would smoke... What well, I was smoking a weekend, I'd smoke three or four times. That, in the space of one night. Okay. And uh, that's... And, and did that... Were you still able to hold down your job? No. I mean, as soon as I turned 16, that was it. You know, I had that money and it was a substantial... It was, Probably what I, I would make four years worth of earnings. I'd had that lump sum, and uh, so I moved out of the house as soon as I turned sixteen, and uh, more or less took it from there. And uh, that's where it, because I did it at such a extreme level. That was where I think it started into an addiction. So, um, how long did that last before you were the money was finished? And yeah, that, that lasted about the best part of four weeks. So four weeks. So now four weeks, and you've just spent all that money. You've, I'm guessing, had a great time. You know. Oh yeah, I, I mean, I had a wonderful time, and there's no denying it. Yeah. But now the the four weeks is up, and you've not got money anymore. You've not got a job, and now what? Now did you were yeah. you able just to flip back to just doing it twice a week or? Um, no, I mean, actually, what happened to me was then I, I, I had nowhere to go. So when the money ran out. I was staying in hotels and up until that point. So when the money ran out, I basically had nowhere to go. So what I did was I registered as homeless. So there was like a a shelter thing that we would go to. And from there, they basically put me up in a youth hostel very quickly. In fact, within the space of 24 hours, I was in a, a, a youth hostel. And uh, within that youth, youth hostel, there were uh, probably about 25 of us there. And we were all people from different backgrounds. And... Uh, yeah, and the availability of drugs down there was 
you know, it was basically seeping with drugs, you know. So that then turned into a daily thing, a daily thing for me, yeah. So how were you able to afford it then? Had you started working or were you getting some money that, or were people just loaning it to you? Yeah, well, what what the the, the residents in the hostel had worked out a, a method of uh, making sure everybody was kind of okay, was you'd have a, a bunch of friends, like three or four of you would be like a team, so... Uh, all of them were on state benefits, slightly older than me, and so they would all get paid weekly at that point. I think it was something like 30, 30, 25 or £30 pounds or whatever it was back then. And so they would work away where one would buy it one day and the other would buy it the other and the other. So they'd kind of space it out more. And okay. uh, I think back then you used to be able to get it for like £10 pounds or so. So you get a big chunk that could last you uh, for a while. And... Uh, Okay, so, so everyone kind of... Um, everybody chipped in and kind of did, did it, so everybody was kind of not having to right. go a day without. And was that enough for you then? Or, or were, you, were you taking it every day then? I was taking it every day, or nearly every day, yeah. The okay. only times I wouldn't take it would be days where I was getting, or had no money, or I didn't have the means to do it. So and then that created within me, I guess, the desperation of wanting to do it any opportunity I got. Because okay. of the poverty issue and the lack of it being there, so then that created the more of a drive towards wanting to just do it. Uh, yeah. Right, so then what happens after that? So you're now 16, you're in a... Um, you're 16, you're in a hostel, and you're doing mm. this, you know, yeah. near enough every day now. Yeah. So what what happens? Where does it go from there? So basically I went from of being in that hostel for around about six months or so I was in that hostel. And uh, then, I mean, the hostel, they worked really well, I still... Uh, got a lot of respect for them because they did an awful lot of work with individual people and tried to, they'd have a, a you know, a, a, a separate key worker that would focus on, you know, the, the young person and their needs and, and what they could do to address their issues, whatever it was, ranging from employment to education to housing. Housing was the main issue there. So I had a, a really good key worker who was focusing on uh, trying to get me back into my own, like, have my own tenancy and have my own flat and, uh, so I got I got a flat in the Bullock Shields area, and uh, basically from then onwards it was just a case of where I had like friends from Bullock Shields and friends from West End, so we would just basically meet up at the flat and we'd kind of use the use the flat as a kind of relaxing uh, you know pad and yeah. Okay, so so now you've uh, you've got your flat. You're in the Pollock Shields, and you're just meeting up every so often with your friends. And mm. is this every day, or is this a few times yeah. a week? Or? Yeah, more or less, like every other day. And are you are you working at that point? And I was working, but I wasn't I wasn't working properly. Like I was working a couple of days a week, and you know, just on and off. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a consistent yeah, it wasn't a consistent job. I was wanting to spend more time uh, exploring this amazing thing called cannabis. Okay. Well, fair enough. Um, maybe one of the questions that people might be thinking is that um, we, you'd spoke a bit about this and we talked a bit about this, that um, people uh, can often get addicted because they're actually trying to deal with other issues. So, mm-hmm. so you were saying, like, for example, the first time you took um, cannabis, it was like, you know, it, it was brilliant, you know, you're mm-hmm. kind of in this state of bliss. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a comfort or it's a way of, you know, forgetting about what's going on. So, so what were the kind of issues that were still going on? Do you feel they were issues that were that you hadn't addressed yet? And what were they oh, yeah. that, that were sort of causing you to continually want to be, you mm-hmm. know, not in reality, but... Yeah. Know. 
I think like yeah I mean there was, there was a whole range of issues like I mean I, I don't want to sound as if I'm complaining about life but there are factual things that happened that I obviously must uh, I've accepted them that they are, they are factual things but I obviously must address them as well because I guess people out there probably have went through similar if not worse than what I went through so like there was there was abuse at home at an early age as well and when I say abuse I mean it was quite harsh some of the stuff that I so seen. like physically being physically hit. yeah being physically abused to to a very bad state and it was a it wasn't a it wasn't a case where it was on the basis of discipline or anything it was more on the basis of control Okay, so it's a kind of beaten into line, sort of, yeah? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so that was at a very early age. When I say early age, it was around about the time, not that long after my mum had passed away. And uh, I think, looking back at my records as well, like uh, uh, the teachers, so I got a lot of respect for the teachers, they did try, they did recognise risk factors and uh, behaviours that I exhibited. And they did try and raise the alarm to local authority and tried to say something's not right and the I don't want to say who the people were but the people I was with uh, when they were brought into the picture they would make allegations about they would blame on something else or he lost his mum that's why he's behaving like this or you know something else happened and you know there was there was excuses that were thrown up there but the reality is I think the, the my misbehaviors at school were Triggered by two things. One was I was I knew I can get away with it, and two, uh, the issues at home. I seen school as a sort of escape from it all. School as a playground, time to play, time to meet, time for me to be a child. All right, okay. And uh, within that, there was a lot of courtesy and a lot of uh, a lot of uh, patience that the teachers had with me. But um, so from from there, basically, I didn't have any ability to properly educate because I. I didn't want to educate. School for me was my home. It became a place where I could feel nurtured and feel valued, strangely enough. Uh, yeah, so the, the, the bad experience for me all was a series of events from uh, the loss of my mother, the abuse at home, the lack of education, not because, obviously because I didn't want to educate, it's not the teacher's fault, but um, all of that. And... Uh, then a lack of finance because finance became an issue and all of those and uh, yeah so a whole a whole range of those events for me became a very depressing state of mind where I then chose to move away from the West End into the South Side area because I could kind of escape from all of that and uh, I didn't really socialise too much or interact with many of my family members for obvious reasons and, but one or two of my brothers I did uh, continue to stay in touch with whoever he. They were going through their own situations, and uh, yeah, so that for me basically became a very depressive state of mind. And within that depression, so not only was I look the need to escape, the need to escape the the current situation was more in my mind, which was a reflection of what had happened. So the depression, the depressing state that I got myself into, drove me to want to, you know, dig myself more deeper away from from the depression that had, that yeah. had occurred because of what what happened or a series of events before. Yeah. So 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 those issues you obviously 
had gone on for a while and they'd never really been resolved, taken mm-hmm. care of. Now all of a sudden you're you're away from it physically, mm-hmm. but um, it must be still going on in your mind and you're saying it, it kind of led you into um, a sort of depression. So so now yeah. that as you're taking these um, uh, the drugs, you're you're trying to take it now to to get away from the depression. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. The that was that was the the mechanism the the, the vehicle I was using to escape from all of that. Yeah. At what age do you think that kind of happened, or was it around about then when, like you're saying, you were now sixteen, you were now out of the house? Yeah. Is that when it, you 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 feel that it was more of an addiction now? Yeah, yeah. It was partly more. Yeah, the sixteen seventeen age period for me was yeah that was. For me, that was a time where I was mostly addicted to, yeah, cannabis because, yeah, I remember having, you know, having wake up every day and thinking about let's go to, I don't want to say anybody's name, let's go there and let's go get, you know, whatever it was I was going to go and get, and uh, that would be my daily, that would be my daily highlight, just yeah. getting that. But is it something else like for guys that know you, like myself mm-hmm. and that, um, we've got a nickname for you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you mind sharing that? Or no, I mean, I mean, I really. Uh, this is the. the I, I think it's important. Um, I got, I got, I got to be. Yeah, I got. I think that. I think. So, what, what's your I nickname? Mean, yeah. My nickname is Tupac. Tupac, right? Tupac, Tupac. So, so, so people might think that's strange, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, why are you called Tupac? Mm-hmm. Why do people call you Tupac? Because the, the reason I mention it is, I, I think, remembering, because we know each other, I think that, you know, that helped you a lot. And ah, yeah. I think so, I don't know. You but, know what? Um, is, yeah, there something you you could, the is there something you could relate to with the way that he kind of, uh, the message that he had? Yeah. yeah, you absolutely hit the nail on the head when you said, uh, is there anything I can relate to with uh, listening to Tupac? And I think for me... The first time I started listening to Tupac was prior to the experience with weed. And it, for me, I, I, I listened to Tupac. The first time I saw I think I, I heard of Tupac was Hit Them Up. Okay. Hit Them Up. The pinnacle point of Tupac's career, I think, was where he released a diss song that to this day is still played and people still emulate that. Um, a very aggressive, very harsh, very explicit song, which describes really really gross things and so for me listening to that at the age of 12 having all of those uh, barriers away from me when I say barriers I mean like discipline barriers at school and at home fair enough what I would do is I would hide under the bed so I would make a hole in the bed and I would hide underneath it and I'd just put my, my stereo on the cassette player we had back then Yeah. and I'd listen to the two pack and, and it, yeah and for me that that was very motivating for me because from listening to Tupac I realised that actually you don't have to be a victim you don't have to be the sad case you can express your anger there's a way to justifiably express your anger and I guess for me I found all of that rebellion was championed on by listening to Tupac and I felt he reinforced all of that yeah, you know, he gave me the the boost that I needed. When I say the boost, I say like obviously because I didn't have, I don't, I wouldn't say I have a proper consistent role model in my life, but I used Tupac as some sort of a, a 
Could you say that he he was a person that you could, by listening to what he was saying, you could relate it to your own life? A hundred percent. I mean, taking away his hit, hit him up song or taking so away he, some so, of it. So he's kind of putting in words what you're feeling? Absolutely. He or was what you're my, thinking? And what I was feeling and thinking, totally right. And he was saying the things that I couldn't say. And he was more or less educating me. And uh, there was a lot of knowledge from the guy as well. I've got to give him credit. He wasn't, you know, big, bad... Rap, rapper and everything there was a lot of uh, stuff he went through as well so him coming from a very uh, strange background as well I think I could very easily pick up on that and the energy that he was giving off in his songs I was very much so saying wow this is what I want to be this is this is the guy you know yeah. so far as my role model is concerned this is the guy I want to be like when I'm when I'm 25 I want to be him I want to have the cars I want to have the jewellery I want to have the fame I want to have everything and then I want to be able to express myself uh, the way he was doing it. So that f- for me, that was a the perfect role model, definitely. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, like, if you're talking about Tupac and then you're mm. talking about, you know, cannabis use, I mean, mm. the, the most famous picture you'll see of Tupac is usually, you know, in front of a big hash leaf, isn't it? That's right. That's a right. big cannabis leaf. That's true. Yeah. So and Tupac was very much so endorsing the whole idea of, 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 of smoking blunts and you know, weed and Hennessy and everything. So he was very much so endorsing all of it. And much of his records, he was just uh, pushing it through because that was what, obviously, he did as well. So he was promoting the whole idea and the whole concept of taking weed. And, you know, it was cool. It was a thing to do. You know, him and a lot of the other artists as well, rap artists at that time, even to this day, they do promote the, the use of cannabis, definitely. Yeah. I think in America right now there's a great movement going where they're trying to legalise cannabis and I think in certain states it is legalised. Yeah, well well, that was something that um, we're going to be touching on at different yeah. points in this, uh, what's it called, the shows that we're doing. is um, I was actually listening to an argument by uh, Russell Brand. Okay. Um, yeah. and, and the whole issue of um, you know legalising uh, certain drugs and, and but but having them still controlled, mm-hmm. but legalised, um, so that it would actually take the power away from um, the, drug crimi- the criminals, the drug dealers. 100%. And yeah. then you could actually engage with people and maybe deal with the underlying issues. But that's, that's definitely true. something that yeah. we'll be talking about in this series, yeah. is um, looking at Russell Brand's views on, Russell Brand, on this. Yeah. But I like him, I follow right. him. Yeah. You follow him as I well? I follow yeah. him as well, great guy. Yeah, And, and he's, he's a guy who... Um, uh, was addicted to many things, mm-hmm. and uh, has kind of recovered. And, right. and and but he speaks really down to earth. Yeah, I mean everyone can relate to him. Um, and he actually um, is he he's wrote some books mm-hmm. on um, you know getting sort of recovering from uh, addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they seem to be quite popular, and, and it seems to make a lot of sense. I think he's even been up in front of um, some MPs. That's right. To, to, to speak That's on right. this issue, and I think he's spoken in other parliaments as mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. Um, in different parts of the world. So, so okay. So we've kind of got through the the secondary school um, yeah. period, and um, up until this point, now you're now like seventeen years old, right? You've, you're living in your flat every few mm-hmm. days. You're meeting up with friends um, to what's it called? As I say, have a, a session. Have a session. Yeah. Have a session. Right. Sesh. Okay. <laughs> and um, in and then. At that point, because you, you also spoke about alcohol, mm-hmm. um, cocaine, had those? Have you had you tried those up until then, or were they an issue up until then? Yeah, I mean, with so far as alcohol, to the point that I was seventeen. So far as it goes with alcohol, I did have I think probably about a dozen 
episodes of alcohol where I did, you know, and I think I, I, I can remember my first time drinking alcohol. Yeah, I was probably about 14 or 15 and I had a bottle of, a small bottle, it was a mixed bottle, and I had one of them and I thought, wow, that's really nice, but it wasn't really the thing for me. You know, I never really thought that this is what I, I want to do or maybe because it was so outlawed and within the household. Yeah, so I, 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 living in a Muslim yeah. family, um, you know, alcohol is this definite yeah. haram. It's Red forbidden, line. it's not mm-hmm. good, you mm-hmm. know. Whereas um, cannabis, you know, is something that maybe it wasn't so clear. Yeah, I guess it's it, more socially acceptable, I think. I would agree with you 100% in that because uh, I think uh, coming back from where we go, I mean, we as Muslims, we're, a lot of us have shisha. Yeah. A lot of us smoke. A lot of us do smoke. I mean, yeah. Coming from the Arab world, even Pakistan and India, a lot of us do smoke. And uh, so I, I don't think people have much of a of a, uh, an issue with that as compared to alcohol. They still have a major issue with smoking, but when it comes to alcohol, if you want to compare them both yeah alcohol is the red line where if it was going you're going to choose between the two you would probably choose smoking weed or yeah yeah no fair enough I uh, understand uh, where you're coming from so um so you tried the alcohol and then what about the cocaine what what kind of age was yep. that the, the cocaine the, I mean sorry first of all the the alcohol you kind of tried it a few times but you never really got into the the, yeah. the, the state where you were constantly like, mm-hmm. craving alcohol mm-hmm. it was more weed yeah, Is that it right was, or am I getting it wrong? It was, yeah, it was more weed. And uh, the times that I did drink drink alcohol, it would always lead to fights or something really violent or volatile. Um, yeah. Whereas, whereas I guess with um, with weed, um, you know, everybody just kind of hangs about uh, laughing and then gets some, a lot of food to eat later on. Yeah, with weed, what, what, it is, what it does to you is it makes you become quite passive. So you don't really... If somebody says something to you, you don't really take offence to it. You're like, okay, I'm here just relaxing, lounging, kicking back. Whereas the alcohol gets you, very, I think it gets you really hyperactive, it gets you very energetic and you want to use the energy. Whereas weed does slightly the opposite, where it just makes you chill and, and you want to kind of just relax, yeah. Okay, so uh, I think w- with alcohol it's good just maybe for people that are not aware, like it can have... Uh, different effects upon different people that's true, as all the true. drugs can that's true. Um, so alcohol like you're saying in your case it might have made you more of an aggressive person yeah. but for some people it makes them very happy you know it makes them sleepy that's so true I just wanted to put that in just so that people might yeah. think well well, I know people who take yeah. alcohol and, yeah, and, yeah, they don't, and they don't get angry um, but what I was going to go on to say is that okay so um, at what point did um, well at what point did taking weed become a problem? Like, for, when mm-hmm. did you recognise it and go, you know, I, I need to stop this, you know, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. why, you know? I think, like, with me, the the recognition of weed being an issue started, I guess, at the first few weeks of when I moved into my, my new flat. We're moving into the new flat, there was a lot of, you know, positive thoughts and there was a lot of uh, good ideas that I had set up before I moved into the new flat. So when I, when I moved into the new flat... All of those got kind of abandoned. Um, so I started smoking weed daily. And I think within the first couple of weeks, I realised that this is actually bad for me. 
So, so you're saying that when you moved into your house, it was kind of like, right, this is my new start. I'm yeah. going to like get a job. I'm going to get, you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to make money. I'm going to have yeah. a nice life. Is yeah. that what you mean? Absolutely. Yeah. There was a lot of, yeah. yeah there was a, there was a lot of opportunity. Yeah. I mean, because you, you, you were saying that you know you you come from a house where you were not in charge. You know, you just kind of live in there, mm-hmm. and now you've become an adult and you've got your own place. So yeah. now you're like, right, okay. There's no one to stop me now. It's just me, yeah. and I can do what I want. But I can do what I want. Yeah. But you're saying quite quickly you realised that cannabis is now actually causing me a problem. So mm-hmm. you've not got the external factors you had before. Mm-hmm. You've now got the freedom. Yeah. But you, you're now realising that wait a minute, this is a problem. Yeah, because it's having an impact on the day to day things that I was, you know, inspired to do before I moved into my flat. It was having an impact on even my current state of mind. So I did recognise very early that it was an issue. Um, however, with that. With the whole idea of cannabis and the effect that cannabis has on you, it makes you dead passive. Like I said before, with me personally, it made me dead passive. Where I, where I would just want to just relax. Everything I would want to do, the practical things, I'd put them to the side. So along with that, I think smoking cannabis actually supported the idea of putting all those things behind. Okay. Even including the the idea of understanding that I need to give up cannabis one day. All right. The fact that you were. Taking the cannabis was actually making you like it was. You weren't even motivated to actually give up cannabis anymore. Exactly, it became. So not only were you not doing what you were going to do, but yeah. I mean, you couldn't even deal with this as a problem because yeah, you were so relaxed. Or absolutely, and I'd I'd smoke the cannabis to help me relax again, and I would say, right, I knew here are all these things I need to do, and they'd come to me, and I'd say, right, I'm getting stressed. I would go and smoke the cannabis. So. Okay, so now it's it's been used to deal with with, with stress. Now, mm. one thing I find um, speaking to guys, um, as you know, I work with guys, um, mm. you know, that are that are struggling as well. And one of the issues is, um, which I'm going to ask you about, is do did you ever have a guilt of what you were doing? Like, did you ever feel guilty with the fact that you were taking, or, or that you you were now addicted, or you felt you were addicted, or you weren't in control anymore. Did you ever find that guilt? Yeah, I think that guilt mainly happened with me was see at the time of doing it, like when when I was when I was smoking it, I was enjoying it, and I and I didn't want to feel guilty. The guilt time would more or less come the morning after when I wake up in the morning, I feel oh god, and then within, but it wouldn't happen all the time. I would just say to myself, oh, it's okay, I'm young, relaxed. And uh, I'll deal with these, those issues tomorrow. I've got a life ahead of me. I don't need to worry about them too much. But the guilt did come. Parts of the guilt, guilty feeling did come early on as well. But the other times I'd feel re- really guilty would be times where I'd meet my sister or meet my auntie. The women in my, in my, my family, when I would meet them, that would be times that I felt really ashamed. Mm. Whereas with the guys, like my cousins and stuff, I wouldn't feel any ashamed. That's all. I think mainly because I was a geyser, guys, so to speak. I don't even know if that's right to say. In this. <laughs> and what was that? What What was the reason for that? Um, I don't know. Looking back, I guess it was probably to. I mean, with me not having a mother, I think like the nurturing side of life and the whole uh, kind of more emotional side. I don't think I really had a means of dealing with it. My only experience or my only way of dealing with any emotions was anger, which was expressed or listening to Tupac or, you know, 
uh, taking weed, which was more or less just suppressing any emotions or, or that I had built within me. Um, so when I would see the women from my family, I think they would probably remind me of my mum and the nurturing side of them would show more because they'd want to express love to me. And for me, I was like more or less in an area where foreign territory, I didn't know how to behave. And I put that partly down to obviously the the the, the fact that I was, I was under the influence of weed most of the time. And for me, that made me feel really embarrassed and ashamed within because here are women from very, you know, people that I respect a lot and I love a lot and they're trying to express love to me and show me a form of, of love and I cannot express it back. For me, that made me feel embarrassed. What's the point now where you reach where you... Because you've already said you're realising this is a problem now, right? Mm-hmm. So at what point do you get to where you just go, right, I, I, I really, really need to sort this out? Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, I had two two episodes of prison as well, and I think, I believe, you seen me in prison as well twice, on both of those occasions, remember? Mm-hmm. Once in Pullman, you seen me, and uh, once in Bologna as well. All right, okay. Yeah, so both of those times, uh, uh, yeah. And uh, for me, I think, uh, like, I was kind of in prison, and, and I was 17 at the time, and my 18th birthday was in prison. And then, uh, then was the time where I think I, I really had the opportunity to not smoke. So it was, it was a, yeah. So that was that was mainly one of the times where I stopped smoking. And then when I was released, I then went back to it. And, and yeah. So from a religious point of view, you might go to like a, an imam or a scholar and say that, or even just a religious person, not not even an imam, not even a scholar, mm-hmm. and just say that. You know, this is what I'm doing, and or they might know that that's what you're doing, and 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 to try and stop you, they maybe try and frighten you or tell you how bad it is. So, yeah. like, I remember talking to one guy, and and uh, he said to me that, and now he's addicted to alcohol, mm-hmm. reads his prayers, okay, nice guy, you know, intends to go for Hajj, inshallah. inshallah. But he said to me that um, someone actually said to him that, oh, don't you realise that if you die in this condition, drinking alcohol, you're going to be brought in front of Allah on the day of judgment like that mm. and he said that scared him so much that he had to have another couple of drinks to get over it <laughs> right now it sounds funny but you know the idea that like you know one thing is leading to another which is a vicious circle yeah. so, so so that guy was obviously as he explained he, he was taking it like you were saying as well you know taking drugs Very to deal with issues yeah. and then resulting in more problems, which then meant more stress, which meant taking more. Take more. So it's a vicious circle. Definitely. Yeah. And, and how does a person get out of it? You know, mm-hmm. that's that's the difficult part. And that's the part I want to move on to now is that mm-hmm. um, at what stage did you actually start doing something about it? Yeah. And, and were yeah. there failed attempts? There was, I would say, more than 100 times I tried uh, many times to stop. And, and sometimes I succeeded for several days, but there was something would trigger it again. And I'd just say, right, okay, I've I've lasted a week without it. I'm clearly not addicted. One joint is not going to harm me, is it? I'll go get that one joint. And then from there it leads, okay, one more day. And that's how psychologically it turns into, uh, you know, a never-ending circle as well. So for me, it more or less came to 2006. 2006. 
yeah, 06 was the time where uh, more or less I was I was going to the gym an awful lot and uh, yeah, I was training an awful lot and I realised that I had to the, the the drugs were having a massive impact onto my health, not only my mental health but also onto my physical health like if I would be stoned I couldn't lift anything in the gym I couldn't run, I couldn't do nothing and uh, so I was training daily and uh, my my now wife at that point I met her and uh, and we started forming a, a relationship like uh, we were friends before we were married and uh, just completely innocent friends absolutely there was nothing yeah. and uh, we she took a really good liking to me and I think within within that relationship created the kind of need to be somebody other than the person who sits there smokes weed all day and I think uh, then with that came the need to the need to deal with my physical health and that obviously I to the gym and started training and Okay, so you, so you're noticing you're saying you're noticing uh, a physical uh, mm. issue, which yeah. is that you're not able to function physically properly yeah. now. With it, mm. you're also maybe now you're in a relationship and yeah. you are now having maybe there's something expected of you, yeah, which you're wanting to do, yeah, because you because this relationship means something to you, isn't it? Definitely. Obviously, you you later on they went on to Definitely. you know to, to get married. So, mm-hmm. um, so was that kind of the first time where you're really faced with? I, I really want something. I I want this to work, and I really need to function. I need to step up, and yeah. you, you kind of had to t- deal with this issue now. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, my current wife, bless her, she invested a lot in me. When I say invested a lot in me, she had a lot of faith in me. And when I was at a situation in my life where I didn't feel as if I could do things, and the the addiction to weed and drowning myself in self-pity and depression and stress and everything else that came with it. At that point, meeting her, for me, in spite of all my issues, she seen through my issues and she invested a lot of energy into me and into giving me that sense of self, you know, uh, yeah, that, that sense of uh, worthiness, you know, that you can do it. And to me, that was obviously all praise to love for, for his... Ultimately, it's a lot that does everything, but my wife was a wee call that was used for me, I think, in, in helping address the addiction and, and being able to practically and safely, sorry, being able to practically stop uh, depending on the, on the weed or the use of weed. Okay, so um, so at what point then did you, um, obviously you had failed attempts, yeah? Yeah. Attempts that you tried and it yeah. didn't work. Yeah. Um, was there, was, there, was there another process you had to go through before it did work for you? Or was there a day you maybe just turned away and never looked back? or How did it happen? Yeah, I, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be entirely honest. I need to be perfectly honest here. There have, I have had several relapses. I've had phases where uh, after having a stopped smoking weed, uh, I did smoke it for a few days. And, you know, he, once every so often I do occasionally, it's nothing uh, like I can go a year without smoking, you know. So it's not, and de- it's nothing I depend on anymore at all. So the dependency is the issue here that we're dealing with. Uh, so far as uh, for me, the time that we're looking at was probably about eighteen. Yeah, I think it was eighteen. 
was a time where I, where, I, where I really stopped depending on it. I had more things to do. I guess there was more social things for me to do. There was more of a value added to my life because if I, if I would be smoking, I wouldn't want to see my, 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 my now wife. Yeah. Because I didn't have the confidence and the self-esteem and I'd feel lazy and, oh, I don't want to get ready or, you know, what do I have to offer? You know, all of that came into the equation as well. Whereas when I didn't smoke weed and I started training and I started working more, it then gave me a more, much more value to my life and, and I felt, you know what, I can do it. Have you kind of dealt with it or do you feel that you do really still need to look at things and maybe uh, go that bit further to make sure that you are, you know, that, that okay, you're, you're going long times without um, uh, taking these things, mm-hmm. but is, do you think there's there's still work to be done um, on the underlying issues? Because you haven't really yeah, said that you've dealt weird. with the underlying issues. I mean, I would say so far as the the bulk of the underlying issues are, are concerned, I would say that most of the underlying issues are, are dealt with. But I, I would still say that there probably is more that can be done. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm completely satisfied with myself. I don't think. So, so there's really be honest. So there's still work. work I think to be they, done. they probably still can be a little bit a little bit. The, yeah. the, the reason I mention that is because uh, it can be quite uh, common for uh, people that are addicted to forcefully take themselves away from one addiction yeah. but then end up addicted to something, something else, else. That's true. and sometimes the things that a person can get addicted to don't seem as bad so th- there are examples of people that become excessive in religion yeah. or excessive in um, working mm-hmm. or excessive in the, the, the gym or excessive in mm-hmm. something that or, or eating or yep. Smoking, or so yep. things that maybe don't seem as bad. Mm-hmm. And what it is is that the, the under so so the addiction has changed, but the person is still addicted. So yeah. so so that's what I mean that, that there is work to be done underlying to actually deal with those issues so that yeah. you don't need to have any of these things anymore. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I guess with me, I don't know if you've ever seen me eat. No, I've never seen you eat. You've no. never seen me eat. You need well, to see I've me seen eat. you eat a long time ago, but oh, not recently. Okay, gosh, gosh. Um, I can eat. I go into our local world buffet and I have seven plates. Seven plates. Mostly meat. And so I, I guess I'm, I'm replacing my addictions with, with, with something else. And I, and I'm not saying it is, but I'm just saying that the just from my experience of working with people that are... Uh, are addicted this is something that sometimes it can lead to a false sense of having got over something like you hear many people say um, oh uh, I'm not getting rid of the cigarettes why or because they end up eating so much that's true you know so and this is also another maybe issue that that, that in society that we look at that um, are people addicted do we always just assume that an addicted person is someone who uh, is taking a drug Mm -hmm. you know or Mm -hmm. Is it just someone that's not coping with issues and is turning to a substance which might be lawful, yeah. like you know, yeah. but to deal with issues and that mm-hmm. then leads to dealing with the issues that are underlying and also learning new techniques or methods mm-hmm. to deal with those problems, you know, so that in life because life throws us problems, man, you know, yeah. you know, we can be going along quite nicely mm-hmm. and then we're having a bad day and then. Mm-hmm. Something happens, and then you know it's ups and downs. Yeah, 
and therefore maybe it's about learning uh, or dealing with underlying problems but also learning the, the, the new techniques and methods so that we can healthily deal with our issues without having to resort to a certain thing, you know, uh, in, a, in, in a way that a person's addicted. Definitely, 100%. And I guess it, I think, ultimately comes down to the idea of self-control. And I think within, you spoke about religion, I think religion can teach you how to control yourself, as long as you don't uh, lose control in religion itself. But it can teach you how to control yourself. And I think um, there was episodes, and in fact, I think I missed this part out of my whole story, was... I did uh, do my five daily prayers. I did do them, and albeit in the house, I did do that in my home, and I did go training. Uh, and for me, that taught me that physically and practically, I can do, you know, I can uh, deal with the addictions. But you're absolutely right. Some people, a lot of people, do uh, replace one addiction for the other, and it kind of gives them a sense of relief that okay, we've got that addiction over with, but they've then substituted it for something else. And I thought I. Yeah, I see. I see exactly what you mean. Yeah. So, kind of now that we have kind of gone through your uh, story up until now, um, we kind of what kind of um, I don't know what kind of advice would you give to? We're going to look at certain different groups of people. So, okay. what kind of advice would you give to a young person growing up hmm. who hasn't tried any of these substances yet? The honest advice I would give to anybody is it's not really worth it. There is nothing that you're going to miss out upon. And the chances of being addicted to it are quite high. I mean, even if you come from uh, a, a good background, uh, and if you're not so vulnerable, the chances of being addicted are very high. And it doesn't really give you any real benefit in, in reality. It will give you a temporary feeling of excitement or it will help you feel as if you're in control of your thoughts or whatever you're going through, but it will never give you a proper solution. And I would genuinely say that any 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 use of any drug has a long-lasting effect. I mean, I'm, I'm still suffering till this day. There's no denying it. And 100% I would say, uh, yeah, it's not worth it at all. So what kind of issues are you talking about? Like what kind of long-lasting issues are you... If, yeah. you're, if you're all right to talk about it. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, I personally don't suffer from any, any psychological issues, but I, I've, I've been, you know, I've had episodes where when I was, you know, under the influence of, of, of weed, you know, coming off, when, when I was coming off the weed, it, it was, you know, quite psychotic episodes where I was literally wanting to pull my hair out and, you know, draining my teeth when I was, whilst I was asleep and very aggressive thoughts and, you know, psychotic uh, episodes and so for some people I mean I think it's been scientifically proven it does uh, trigger psychological illnesses and it does you know lead to a lot of issues and I know a, a, a variety of people a whole range of people that are, are suffering long term uh, psychological disorders because it was triggered by the misuse of cannabis and other drugs of course but um, yeah so psychological illnesses is, is one of the, ma- the the main things out there for weed and also the physical health implications are a wide range of issues from your lungs to your heart to your you know whatnot and yeah socially as well but I think it destroys your especially I guess at a very young age if you're going to be doing it on a recreational thing it's going to it's going to sound like a fun thing you're going to do it temporarily okay it's good and but those are the most vital points of your life 
the stage in your life where your brain is developing, you know, the foundation of your head, and you're going to take that with you in the rest of your life forever. And so at, at those early times of your life, I think that those are the most important times. So any interference with drugs is, is, is deadly, it's lethal. Uh, and would you say then, so looking at your example, for you, you were talking about the, the issues that you had that were real for you when you were younger. So we did say that, alhamdulillah, that the things have improved since then and people are now getting more support, schools are more aware, social mm-hmm. workers are more involved and this whole, this whole idea of girfet, getting it right for yep, every child, right, every that, you child, know, that yeah, they all that. work together to try mm-hmm. and... Mm-hmm get all the departments together to help a person rather than everyone just doing their own wee bit and well what I was going to ask you is would, would you advise a young person going through these issues to actually work with uh, people on this rather with, than with the authorities or yeah with, with all the help that's there you know I would 10 years ago I wouldn't have said it even 5 years ago I wouldn't have said it but I would genuinely sit here and say that 100% that you've got to work with the authorities people that are there uh, government funded or even charities whatever it is a lot of people just want to help you know they may ask you to do difficult things like speak about why you're taking them or you know or, or want to uh, prevent you from doing whatever it is you're doing but ultimately they have they have the best in their heart for you so definitely working and cooperating with the authorities I would 100% back that I would motivate and encourage anybody to do that how do you think the Muslim community is dealing with it? I think there is a, a there is definitely an issue so far as um, admit, I mean, people don't want to admit, especially the parents don't want to admit that their daughter goes out or that their son goes out and smokes weed or that they're, you know, they don't want to, they don't want to admit it. So what they probably have a tendency to do is say, if you're going to do it, don't do it in the open. Do it away from people, and I've noticed that from from a, lot of, a few people I've uh, been friends with that that is that is what it is. And as long as aunties and uncles and people don't find out about it, it wasn't really too much of a, an issue for some people. Um, whereas the other thing is also denial. Uh, a lot of parents, I think, elders are. are I mean, let's be realistic. They're they're going through hell as well. They're working sixty, seventy hours trying to give their children a really good life and give them a jump start in life. So the last thing they want to be dealing with is having to do a massive, massively different thing and discipline their child about anything that they're doing in their life. So they don't want to admit that the child is taking drugs or they've got a problem with drugs or they think he's just out with his friends. The innocent part of it as well. Some of them just say, "Okay, he's just out with his friends, just having, you know, probably going to smoke a cigarette." If at most, I can deal with that. You know. But but definitely, there comes times where families do realise that, you know, this is a major issue now. You mm-hmm. know, we're having serious problems, um, and and I've, uh, from my experience, even then, um, I think people struggle with it. They, they they struggle to admit it, or they just don't know much about it and they don't have a clue how to deal with it now, where to go, what to do I mean you go to the mosque and um, the example I gave you earlier on is someone might say oh well it's it's unlawful, just ask Allah for forgiveness and don't do it yeah. again Yeah. but we know that it's it's a greater problem than that. It's it's not Definitely. as simple anymore. Yeah. You know, um, you now need your, your brain is actually craving it. So mm-hmm. how do you now retrain your brain? 
You know, and it's not simple just saying, well, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. So then you might move it on to something else or mm-hmm. you might relapse. You go That's back true. to it because you That's haven't true. actually dealt with underlying issues and mm-hmm. you've not learned the, the skills to be able to manage yourself now. So... Would you think that that's something that, you know, as a community in general and also within the Muslim community that we should be looking at, that how do we support, um, you know, people that are... How do we how do we stop people getting into it? How do we yeah. stop... How do we support people that are in it? How do we help family members yeah. of people that are in it? I would, I would say, I think, based on my experience and the people that I've been friends with in my life, I would think the majority of the time it's isolation and... Parents don't get involved with their children. And I think people, uh, not people, but just in general, I think uh, parents have a tendency to just be uh, the disciplinary body or the person who provides, and that's it. As long as you put that money in your son's or your daughter's pocket and as long as you're telling them that that's wrong, that's you done your part. I think like being a friend with your children is very important. I think that's... A major issue within our community is we we don't know how to parent. Not we. I think some some of us don't have the the understanding that we need to be friends with our children. We need to be emotionally and physically connected with them. We need to you know be in tune with what they're doing and be part of their social circle as well. Obviously, it's not uh, ideal to have your uh, your your parents sitting with you amongst your friends. But what I mean to say is like just being more engaged with them and being a bit more. A bit, a bit less strict, and a bit more open with your children. I think that will be uh, supportive of the whole idea. Of uh, and your children wouldn't want to do it, depending on how you brought them up. And and and, and um, but I think we do need to look at ways to address uh, addiction. And I think uh, because of the elder generation and the Asian community, we were a lot of them weren't exposed to a lot of things. Uh, that people are doing nowadays but I think the second and third generation because they have been exposed to it they're more aware of you know the telltale signs of when they're they're, they're getting up to mischief so to speak so. Jazakallah khair thank you very much um, giving us a lot of time you're welcome over there um, pleasure and uh, inshallah hopefully this will uh, benefit people out there you know they'll be able to hear the, the they will hear your story and some might be able to relate to it um, some might be able to um, you know, take something from it, whether it's preventing people going down this path, or there's someone that is addicted. You know, that maybe thinks, okay, well, you know, that, that, that brother's done it. I can, I can also do it. So, and and hopefully that it educates our community as well. You know, because I think the best way, you know, one is a person who just you know talks the talk and says, you know, oh, I think it's like this, and I think it's like that, and then is actually hearing it from someone who's, you know, who's who, who's gone through it, you know, who's who's experienced it. I mean that insight is uh, very important, and that's the idea of this. You know, the idea mm-hmm. isn't that we we want to let people know a nice story or a, yeah. or a bad story, yeah. but the idea was that um, we need to learn from it. Absolutely. And khair, you know, because some of the things you've talked about are very personal, very emotional. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa taala reward you. Thank you. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa taala give you all the success in the future as well. And for all the people that are out there, may Allah subhanahu wa taala also. Um, help them as well, inshallah, and, and mm-hmm. give them success. Absolutely, I couldn't agree anymore. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for having me.
For more information and to listen to more podcasts, visit us at arc.score or check out the Arc Media app.